History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after-show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, episode 46, Light in Slovenia during the 1970s. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out, or else there are going to be spoilers ahead. Where do bears go to the lavatory if they're in a cave? Because there are no woods. Hello, and welcome to History Happened Everywhere, The Verdict. My name is Ryan Weir, and I am here in the HHE studio with the Romulus to my Remus. It's Mr. Peter Goddard. Uh, Sorry, I've just got to suckle on this wolf for a while. I'll be right back. (laughs) Shove over, I want to teat. (laughs) And with us, as always, it's HHE's dominantly dyspeptic doge. It's Judge Dursley. Felicitations. (laughs) Paul, don't think, quickfire round Oh god Speak every language or talk to animals Well surely one could contain the other But not necessarily the other containing the one So I've answered your question you sort of mathematically solved your question (laughs) Rather than answering it But uh, (laughs) I can't deny his point So, Peter. Yes, Ryan. I remember the last episode being lit AF. Yes, I agree. No, but lit. (laughs) It was lit. Because it was lit, right? It absolutely was lit. Uh, But I'm being a bit lightheaded. And while it sounds a little shady to ask you, I would be (laughs) delighted if you could shed some light on what was covered. All right? Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't you enlighten us in like maybe 60 seconds or so? So we know what you did today, then, right? <laughs> it took us. Me, it took me way longer than death. I, It took me way longer than it should have done. <laughs> you ready? Start now! Okay, I took Ryan on a trip to Central Europe, to Slovenia, a hilly, foresty nation that was, in the 1970s, one of the westernmost nations of the Eastern Bloc. We learned about the rise of Marshal Tito and the communist partisans who formed a government after World War II, but still had the backbone to bicker with Stalin, and help form the non-aligned movement, not wanting to be either East or West in the Cold War. We drank a toast with some light white wine, snacked on a light-ish bled cream cake, talked about the key role firefighters played, not just in fire prevention, but also party planning, and took an in-depth look at how industrial design in the 1970s reflected changes in Slovene society, from centralised communist to regional and individualist. We also checked out Slovenian light entertainment, checking out Jezek the Clown, the music genre Slovenian songs, some very exciting avant-garde accordion sounds, and the powerful punk prodigies, the bastards. Last week's episode done Summarised nicely Nice one, son Now we're over to a young Dursley Who's gonna tell you what he thought of me He'll take you apart without any care He's the lovely Paul Dursley The lovely Paul Dursley Ah, yes That was illuminating Thank you <laughs> <laughs> I just got an image of you all day. Uh, every now and then, I've got another one. Scribbling it, trying to crowbar, crowbar it in. in. Crowbarring is definitely the word. Yeah, uh, but I remember now, and that's the main thing. And what a great episode I thought it was. But you know what? What does it matter what I think? We're not here for my opinion, Pete. <laughs> we are gathered here in this court of judgment to learn the thoughts of the judge himself. So, Paul, was all things light and airy? You know, was this a case of never being too light in life to learn something? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I could keep going. Honestly, I've got loads of these. I'm just glad that 
I'm not scoring you this week. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad <laughs> Because we're probably down into the Ds already. <laughs> <laughs> so come on, Paul, tell us, what were your thoughts on episode 46? Well, uh, the country was good, the time period was satisfactory, but you were light on light. I felt you might say that, but I'm going to make a pitch for my defence here because there was a very clear light linkage to every item in there. We had light entertainment. We had light white wine, or mostly. We had light meals. Sort I think of. I made solid... Con- yeah, maybe it's all these sort of that's causing us the problem. So why was the furniture light? Uh, well, the 33 brands of light that the Gazzini company designed for the Meblo company. Meblo. Uh, Iskra is a company which means spark, which generates a light. And they were initially <laughs> making Sinar projections, which project light. And they made the Minirama in 73, which is a device that projects light on a screen. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> He's making notes. <laughs> it sounded like he was scribbling. I, I think I broke through there. <laughs> He's going to have me in his chambers in a minute. So, let's start with the basics. Have you ever been to Slovenia, Paul? Uh, no, I haven't. I'd like to go, actually. It sounds like one of the more interesting parts of ex-Yugoslavia. What was it you would like to see? From what I can remember, there are some spectacular, I suppose, for want of a better word, you'd call them low-rise waterfalls. I think that's an element of the Alpine bit, but maybe there's quite mountainy in the top left, in yeah, the Julian Alps, I think it is. It would have been interesting if you talked about, you know, the status of Trieste after the Second World War. Yeah, I didn't want to go into that because it was in Italy. Uh, but it wasn't. It was in 1970. <laughs> <laughs> but you usually give a, a, an exegesis of the previous history. That is true. I felt that it was implied by the mentioning of Trieste in the Adriatic to Stettin in the Baltic. Yeah. Side note, that reference is the only thing that YouTube caught us out on on the uh, copyright. Not all the Star Wars references, which I thought <laughs> Disney <laughs> was going to come uh, hard down on us. Uh, mm. No, YouTube was quite happy with those. All, all Churchill it, Estate, it you've got to watch out <laughs> Yeah, they're going to fight us on the... Don't, don't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> That was at a university in the States, wasn't it, when he said that? That's right. Yeah, it really was. And it was just after he'd asked them to turn all the lights down because they were too bright. Oh, that would have been a great night connection. Yeah. There, that does beg the question, at what point, can anyone own that speech, really? I mean, it's so much, much part of the public consciousness. Is it the people who recorded it that own it? Is it the guy who said it who owns it? Who owns that? Yeah, well... Churchill did write most of his stuff. Definitely had his voice, didn't it? But is a speech by a politician, by its nature, a public asset? Yeah. I think that was the case made for the presidential tweets, wasn't it, at one point? That they, they, they couldn't be considered Anything private that he says because they publicly. were the president speaking, not right. an individual, as it were. So I could take one of Trump's tweets and make a T-shirt out of it. From the presidential tweeting account? Yeah, not yes, his personal account. Yes, I think account. so. Not a lawyer. But <laughs> I don't recommend following my legal advice, but give it a go. Let me know how it goes. Yeah, yeah no, true. But Paul, was it? Did it give you a little tingle when you heard Churchill's voice there? Did you stand to attention? No, not really. I've heard I've heard it many times, along with many other speeches. I don't think that's necessarily one of his best. Can you do a good Churchill impersonation? I could do a, a drunk Churchill impersonation. <laughs> Mm. 
So talking of language, though, during the episode, we drank some wine, which was very deliciously bought by you, Peter. I asked at the time what a Slovenian cheers would be, like a toast that we might say at the beginning of drinking. Uh, you didn't know, so I looked it up, and uh, the answer is Nuzdravia. That's ah. Russian. Is there, Was that because they speak Russian, or that's the Slovenian, which is also the same as Russian, because they're from a very similar background? I think it's slightly different, isn't it? Nuzdravia. I think it is slightly different, but I immediately thought of Russian. And this is the, na- the way of these things. These languages do relate to each other, don't they, and sort of change and shift as they travel across the, the map? Well, yeah, but uh, I, I sort of, sort of um, sl- I think Slovenia on the Serbo-Croat was very much on the Serbo side, written in Latin script, as opposed to the Croat side in Cyrillic. So on the subject of wine, there was something I didn't mention that I forgot, basically, (laughs) which was I discovered, I thought I knew the colours of wine. I think we covered this, red, also white. Slovenia is also one of the places that does orange wine, which I'd never heard of. Orange wine. Orange wine. Are you familiar with orange wine, Paul? Orange muscat. Oh, okay. See, he is familiar. (laughs) Uh, It's also known as skin-fermented white wine, also known as amber wine. And basically, it's made from white wine grapes, but I guess in normal white wine making... They leave the skins and and the pips in to give it some colour and a little bit of tannin. There you go. And these are orange wines. I've never heard it called that. Ah, well, there we go. That was my discovery, that that Slovenia is one of the places that uh, does a nice orange wine, should you desire it. Do you have anything in orange? (laughs) No, you're just getting orange juice. (laughs) Well, I enjoyed our white wine. I thought it was delicious. I thought it was very nice as well, uh, which was lucky because it was the only Slovenian wine in the shop. Right. So we got lucky there. What I really wanted to do was get some of the... There's a red wine particular to one of the regions, not the Berda region, which is the, the Italian bordering one, but the one on the other side, the sort of northeast of the country. And they've got a kind of... I think they describe it as a, a sour red hmm. and it's quite an acquired taste apparently and i wanted to get some of that but it a absolutely wasn't white uh, or light <laughs> and also i would have had to get it from slovenia and i just didn't have time unfortunately didn't fancy a trip over to slovenia to i would a love a trip to slovenia yeah well why, why did you contact the uh the embassies for all of these countries you know one of them might take a hint <laughs> i'll, I'll it's not try a terrible it idea I'll, I'll take that actually yeah <laughs> So I wanted to talk about clowns because we talked about, what was the name of the clown again? Uh, His name was Jezek Hedgehog. Jezek the Hedgehog. That's right. Uh, Paul, are you a fan of clowns? I just think they're sinister and, you know, child hating. What about a clown with an accordion? (laughs) (laughs) Am I not helping? (laughs) Well, no, you sort of, what's in the accordion? (laughs) Yeah, is there gas in yeah. there that he's going to send the children to sleep with? I think you may have a little coolrophobia, my friend. Is that what it is? Is that what it's called? I believe Fear so. Of yeah, clowns. I'm off the top of my head. Well, but... he's not alone, is he? I mean, there is a, a huge section of society that find clowns to be disturbing. Yeah, well, I, mean... I don't have a fear of them, but I do find them quite disturbing. And sort well, your of the... first thought was an accordion full of poison gas. That suggests a degree <laughs> of concern, at the very least. <laughs> I would like to talk about cave bears. 
I'd like to listen about I have a bone to pick with you, Peter. So we talked about a flute that was made by Neanderthals. Yes. And it was made of a cave bear bone. Yeah, leg bone flute. And I said to you, wouldn't it be marvellous if we could hear the sound that that flute could make? I claimed that the flute was damaged and could not be played. That was exactly what you said. And I said, what a shame. Now, I did some research on that. It turns out that it can be played. It has been played. And I have a recording of that. The real uh, actual flute. The real, it's called the Neanderthal flute. And as you said, it is a prehistoric instrument carved from cave bare bones. It's thought to date back about 50,000 years. It has four finger holes, and that creates four different pitches to it. Only a fragment of the flute remains, but it can still be played. And in fact, there is a Slovenian musician... Luban Dimkarotsky playing Albinoni's Adagio in G minor on a clay replica which was made by the Slovenian National Museum. So I'm going to play it now and uh, let's just have a little listen to a sound that was played 50,000 years ago. Well, I have shivers going up and down my spine now. That was just... Right. That was... was, I'd I'd watch a movie with that soundtrack for sure. That is something special. Scary and spooky and creepy and haunting. I don't know about you, but I just have these images in my mind of like this landscape with like nothing, no very little civilization, just these small little tribes, groups of people moving around, hunting, gathering... Super mournful as well, wasn't it? Um, yes, it was. It did. It did set the hairs on the back of my neck tingling. It's and you just sort of think about it. You know those noises. Clearly not Albinoni's <laughs> Adagio, but the <laughs> that would be an amazing coincidence. <laughs> but it just makes me think that sort of the production of music. I think is one of the highest achievements of humanity. And it's 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 got to be a universal, a human universal music. Has there been a society that doesn't have music in the history of the earth? <sighs> Apart from the town in Footloose. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think as a, a an infant or a fetus inside the womb, you're listening to a heartbeat. Thump, thump. Yeah, it's got, that's got to take you to a... Rhythm, rhythm Some of yes. the most ancient rhythm, things we yeah. come across, aren't they? But I guess what I'd like to try is that chap playing the flute and say... Give us something upbeat. See what he can do with that. Something less haunting. Because <laughs> honestly, I'm, I've got chills. I'm still, I still need to sort of shake them off. Mm. I, 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 yes, it was haunting, but not in an eerie sort of way. It, it, okay, at the start, it did sound a bit like a theremin. Is that the one where you wave your arm through beams of light and it makes a noise? Uh, no, you. There's. It's like a, a an electric. You wave your hands through an electrical field. So I suppose, in as much as light is an electrical field, that's why I said that. <laughs> but no, it's 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 generally longer wavelengths than that. Um, but you, by how close you are, it changes the resistance and it sort of makes a sort of quite a ghostly sound. I wonder. Not about the past with us and music, um, but I wonder about the future. 
Can you imagine a time where you have an electrode that you place on the area that would normally be stimulated secondhand by music? So mm-hmm. that hairs in the back of your neck feeling, but just a direct sensor that just pokes that bit of your brain and you go, oh, I've got I'm feeling feelings of hauntingness without needing the music at all. <laughs> just bypass it, go straight to source. That's, the, that's what we need, the yeah. hauntingness button. Well, exactly. yeah, th- things like that have been analysed. Maybe like an electric hairnet. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is that electric hairnet is what they what they use to sort of analyse this and to find where these things are in the brain and then you can stimulate those areas of the brain. So then that begs the question, if you could experience all of the feelings that are evoked by music, would you need the music or is the music adding its additional dimension? Oh, this is like Slavoj's ex thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I think the answer is the music is in your head. And therefore, if you can generate that music in your head, it's the same thing. Uh, I believe this is a reference to the popular film called The Matrix, where, you know, the reality reality is just in the head. It is an interesting concept that really your perception of the world is effectively a, a movie projected by your brain to your brain. That can lead you to some difficult places, mentally speaking. <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, but, but the thing is, you know, think of a VR headset. Well, the next, the next step would be to have it in glasses. Then the step after that would be to have it directly in the brain. So apart from food and waste and oxygen you don't need that much else so are we going to evolve into sort of that sort of technological species if such a thing exists exactly i for one i'm looking forward to becoming a brain in a jar Mm. um i wonder if i could get a jar next to yours ryan can Mm. i book a jar next to yours is that possible (laughs) can we have paul in the middle yeah so that we can talk in each of his ears exactly except you know virtual ears I want a glute pod. I want a jar of my own. (laughs) I want a jar of one's own. (laughs) So... Talking of cave bears. Oh, yeah, we were talking of cave bears. We were talking about (laughs) cave bears, yeah. So cave bears evolved in Europe around 100,000 years ago. They shared the continent with Neanderthals, mammoths, woolly rhinos, cave lions. The males weighed up to 1,500 pounds. That's 50% larger than the largest modern grizzly bear. Yet the female cave bears were a third of the weight. And they prefer their porridge much colder than the males of the species. (laughs) (laughs) So they're described as having large, wide heads, wider than bears that we'd find today. They had huge, powerful arms, uh, but mostly vegetarians. Quite happy just sort of eating berries and nuts and things. What was their position on picnic baskets? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Were they smarter than the average bear? <laughs> uh, they hibernated in caves, which it's why we find so many good remains of the bears. Oh, of course. It's a real dilemma, isn't it? You're a cave man and you go, yeah. there's a nice cave. But I also live in a world with cave bears and cave lions. <laughs> so do That's I exactly want to go in right. that cave or not? Right. Well, and that and that is interesting. Too. So 150 skeletons were found in the Chivot Cave in France, including poor prints 
which have been captured in the soft clay. Oh, awesome. So you can see like the size of their hands or their, their paws. And in that same cave, researchers there discovered a skull that had been deliberately perched on a stone slab in the center of a chamber there. So you're absolutely right. There was a relationship between humans or between Neanderthals and the cave bears at the time. Unless um, the cave bears were smarter than the average bear. <laughs> yes, that's very true. <laughs> yeah. But they died out around 25,000 years ago and it was likely not a result of hunting. The, the latest thinking is, is that there were just fewer places for them to hibernate as both Neanderthal and modern humans were looking for places to hide. So they kind of were just pushed them out of town. The story is old as time really then, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in World War One, thousands of cave bear skeletons were boiled down for phosphates. Oh, wow. What would they have used the phosphates for, Paul? Munitions in the First World War. So people were being blown up. By ancient bears. By ancient cave bear juice. Got by a cave bear, finally, after <laughs> all these years. I've been got by a cave bear. Yeah, but they still have plenty left, despite thousands of these fossils having been melted down. And scientists extracted both mitochondrial and genomic DNA from various samples, uh, which isn't quite enough yet to clone a cave bear, but they reckon we're probably not far off from it. Nice, I want one. What, a cave bear? Yeah. A, th- a three quarters of a ton bear. I'd keep it in the garage. (laughs) It was like a cave. He'd love that. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. That's cave bears. You mentioned the car, the Yugo, at the yeah. an offhanded comment at the beginning of the podcast. And <laughs> yeah. I, it tickled a little memory of mine of the Yugo as well. So I thought I'd find out a bit more about what Yugo was all about. So it was actually originally based on a, it was a Fiat, basically. It was a shortened Fiat. So they first manufactured them in 1977. Apparently, most of the electrical parts were produced in Nova Gorica, which is where I think it was where the companies that we were talking about were also based. I think that must be a, quite an industrial area. Companies like who? Iskra and... Oh, you're going to do Meblo, aren't you? <laughs> I've walked into that. <laughs> uh, Meblo. <laughs> Meblo. <laughs> anyway, it was a Yugoslav car. And then when Yugoslavia in 1991 fell apart, the production became quite problematic because now your supply chain is across a bunch of different countries. You're no longer one country. Uh, so what, what happens when transport was broken and there was wars breaking out as well is... Basically, they started building Yugos with whatever they had. So your oh, new really? Yugo might come off with like a brown door and a red a red steering wheel. And wow. they would just assemble whatever they might have it at, at the time. And they were just leftover parts, basically. That's astonishing, isn't it? Because nowadays, everything is uniform. Like everything that comes off a production line, from a phone to a TV to a car, has all got to be exactly the same. Well, that's the whole point of a production line. Yeah, well, these guys, I mean, they had a production line, but obviously they brown cars and green cars and red cars, but only a third of each. So they made one <laughs> harlequin of a car, I guess. <laughs> Um, they sold them in America, some of them, where they were basically considered terrible cars. <laughs> wonder why. Specifically, Wikipedia says, subject to much criticism over the following things. It's design, safety, and reliability. <laughs> <laughs> so that was not so good for the for the Yugo. Uh, made it through into, I think, 2008. It made it, was the last Yugo. Uh, they made nearly, not quite a million of them, 700, nearly 800,000 of them they made. Uh, the last one in 2008. As late as that, gosh. 
Uh, there's still a lot of them in Serbia, apparently, because one of the uh, appeals of them is you can fix them yourself. They're very simple mechanically, yeah. so they can keep going because the sort of self-maintained mentality in Serbia. Uh, they're hard to find outside of Serbia, apparently. Yeah. You go. <laughs> <laughs> You also asked in the episode what happened to Pankati and whether they were still playing the punk band from Ljubljana, if you recall. The Bastards. The Bastards, indeed. Okay. I said they had a reunion show with the Sex Pistols, mm. but I've mixed two things up there, actually. They had a reunion show in 2007, which was celebrating their 30th anniversary, big sellout show, and that's what I was thinking of. Then separately in 1996, they performed as a support act for the Sex Pistols. Okay. So I munched those two things together in a moment of mistake, so you can... Mark me down for that, Judge Dursley. I hope you're uh, taking notes, Paul. Uh-huh. Always. <laughs> if you want to find them today, uh, the two of the founding members, Gregor Tomsch and Peter Losfin, uh, with a band called Spansky Borsi, means Spanish fighters, referring to the people who fought in the Spanish Civil War, the Yugoslavs who fought for the Republicans. I don't think they play a great deal. I tried to find their latest gigs and I, I struggled a little bit. They've still got, they're still active, but I don't think you could, could see them on a weekly basis, which is understandable because yeah. they were around in the 70s. So they must be getting on a bit by now. So Paul, of the music clips that we played during the episode, uh, so the crazy accordion music, the... Slovenian song. Slovenian song, the clown uh, song and the bastards. What, what did you like? What didn't you like? Well, I think they were consistently bad, with the worst thing being that noise made by the accordion. I didn't like it either. I can't believe I'm the only person who enjoyed the avant-garde accordion. Maybe I'm just at a higher plane than you. It was giving me a, a migraine, I'll be honest. And so, Peter, we have come to the end of the line. It's time for you to step into the dock and prepare yourself to face the wrath of the judge. I'm ready. Judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? Yes, I am. Then will the defendant please rise? Your Honour, as usual, may we start proceedings by first asking for your verdict on factual content. I'll give him a... Straight B. He's a very wise a judge. A straight B? Very wise judge. That's excellent. How entertained were you? I think I have to say not as entertained as some episodes. So I'll have to give a C minus. A C minus P. Well, I mean, you're not the one who has to tell Gregor about this. <laughs> Finally, the most important factor. It's the Dursley factor. I was expecting something about light. There was not much in it to reference of light as a noun. So I'm afraid it's another C minus. 
Right, there we have it. A B, a C minus, a C minus, and now we are here. We've reached the point of the final verdict. Peter, before the judge passes uh, his judgment, you have an opportunity to enter a plea. If you choose to do so, please make that plea now. I just want to say that the, the grade you give doesn't just go to me, but it goes to the hard work of Gregor the Slovenian, who <laughs> did so much for this episode and is a true friend of the show. And I think he'd be really sad if he got a bad grade, but you know, you do what you think's right. Well, I will therefore specifically give Gregor the Slovene a grade of B+. And I'll give you a grade of C+. Oh, that backfired. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Peter, immediate reaction. I thought I had a brilliant scam whereby I knew he wouldn't be mean to Gregor, but that really didn't work for me. So I got a, a decent grade. I'm actually quite happy with it. I did what I had to do and I'll stand by the result. Okay, thank you. Well, there we are. A C plus for episode 46. Next episode... With, 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 a, with, a, with a B plus for Gregor. With a B plus for Gregor. Next episode, zoology in Chile during 1945 to 2022. I'm confident this is going to be an excellent episode. I'm very excited. Are you excited, Paul? Do you get excited oh. about anything? <laughs> <laughs> well... He had his excitement gland removed as a child. Uh, <laughs> well, I've been to Chile, so I can speak firsthand... Oh, Lord, this oh, makes man, things... I feel the pressure upping as he, as he, as he spoke there. Oh, no. Okay, so that is it for our show for this week. Um, thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that we've talked about on the show, and we have talked about a lot of wide-ranging subjects, uh, or if, in fact, you just want to say hello, you can totally do that. You reach out to us on social media or through our website at hhepodcast.com, uh, or you can email us at Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. And you never know, we, you might end up featured on a future show like Gregor, who not only researched and helped me create the show, he's also listened to the show and given us some feedback. I love this man. What? Uh, oh. <laughs> Perhaps I should change that to an A minus then. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gregor says he'd like to commend us on an entertaining and informative podcast. He says he laughed out loud more than once. He enjoyed it so much he bought a T-shirt to support the show. Oh, good man. Merchandise available at hhepodcast.com. Com. That's right. Uh, now, it, obviously, you can write to us about the show or, or you can just rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's a really great way to bring the show to new listeners. And if you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, you can also find us. We're at HHE Podcast. Uh, if you subscribe to those, you'll get an alert whenever we do a one minute animated HHE Bite, which we do. Uh, we try and do twice a week. Absolutely. All right. So a huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul. Uh, my pleasure. And that is it. I guess all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... Do you know what an Ewok is, Paul? Well, I know what the concept is and I know where they are. I I, I remember seeing the film as a child. Well, oh, Lord. Colour me surprised. Me too. That is uh, that is a shot. And what what colour is, uh, is your surprise? Uh, it's a yellowish colour. Okay. Yeah.